So if you would, take your Bible again and go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now as you're going there, uh, as you came in today, you should have received a, a study guide. So if you've got that, and kids, you should have received a little bag. Does all the kids got a bag? If you got a bag, say, oh yeah. There, yeah, that's it. We got bags, so there's some goodies in there for you. And uh, we put a little coloring thing on the study notes. So you can even color that as, as we're going through this lesson today. And parents, I'm going to keep in mind, our kids are in the room. But what I'm going to be discussing today, I think, has implications across the board. And before we leave today, uh, we're going to wrap this day up with something really, really special as we kick off this new year. I'm going to start a new series today called Focus. Um, as I started to look at where we we're going to go this year with our teaching and our preaching I thought it would be a good idea for me to go back to the Wednesday night that I came and got to meet all of you and elaborate on what I call my personal core values. Now let me tell you what I believe a core value to be. Simply put, a core value is something that drives you. It's something that you celebrate. It's something that that helps you make decisions in life. And all of us in this room have a different set of core values. You don't have to have a certain number of core values. And what I know to be true is that Ebenezer, as a church, has a set of core values. And those core values, when they are shared, are an unstoppable force. Some core values can be sometimes negative. We can actually value things too much in a sense. For example, let me, let me give you an example. Traditions. Traditions are good things, right? We just celebrated some traditions, right? We put trees up, we put lights around them. A tradition is good when it brings people together, but a tradition is bad when it puts a stumbling block or a wall between me and someone else. But those are things that you and I hold dear to our life. It's more than just believing in them. For example, I believe in missions. So when you hear my five core values, know Missions is a part of what I value. But if it's not something that drives what I decide to do, if it doesn't drive my behavior, if I don't talk about it and celebrate it, it may not be a core value. In fact, uh, the late Aubrey Malfors, just as a few weeks ago, would describe that as an aspirational value, something you believe that you want to be very important, but it's not something really that's driving you. And so for the next five weeks, I want to just kind of delve into what I have determined to be my five core values. And again, there may be more, there may be less. But the first one that we're going to delve into is is really foundational to the rest. It's one of those words that maybe you and I are way too familiar with. It may be something that, that today, when we begin to talk about this one value when I say it, you'll be like, oh man, yeah, that's something that, that's, that, that's core to me. But again, I want you to look at these through the lens of, do you talk about it? Do you celebrate it? Does it drive your decisions? And that is Scripture. I love this book. In fact, it's, it's more than a book. Um, you know, the word Bible is the same word that some people in other languages use for library. And so let, let me just kind of quiz, since we've got kids in the room, let's just kind of breathe and relax. Which kid in this room can tell me how many books are in the Bible? Number. What was it? 66. That's it. I mean, there's 66 books. And, and there's, there's all different kinds 
of books. You know, we, we have the, the Torah, the law, the first five books, and then we go into prophetic history. And then we've got the poetry books, and then we've got the major prophets and the minor prophets. And then we have the gospels, and then we have the history in the book of Acts. And then we've got the epistles or the letters, and then we have Revelation, which is its own animal. And all of that makes up what we believe to be what we call the Word of God. So let me just be clear. I believe that this is the Word, the revelation of God. It tells us who God is, what God is about, and the plan of salvation for you and I to know God. I believe that this Word is inerrant. Kids, what that Word means, I believe that it is without error and is completely true. I believe that the original letters as they were written were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit and penned by those authors exactly the way God intended it to be. And putting those things together from the beginning to the end tells us the narrative of God and his people and how we can know him. Because see, here the invitation today for us, for you and to me, is do we know God? Because when I read this book and I, and I begin to see the things that are revealed, I, I, I learn some things about myself as I learn things about God. I, I learned that I am a sinner and that I have no hope of redemption in of, of myself. But God, in his grace and his mercy, looked down at you and me and decided, you know what? I'm going to send my only son. And he's going to die on the cross to pay for the sins that everyone in this room has committed. And he's extended that offer for you and to me to have our sins forgiven. And in the new covenant, remember this Bible is, is, is separated into two parts. The Old Covenant, or the Old Testament, and the New Testament. And in that New Testament, God made a very big promise. He said that he would put his spirit inside of you and me. That makes us different that marks us is different. And as I was becoming, uh, beginning to learn and I came to faith, this book became vital. It became the centerpiece. It's not God. We don't worship the Bible. We don't need to put it on a flag or anything like that. It is the means by which you and I can know God through Jesus Christ, His Son. And so what I'd like to do is look at this passage, and I want to look at three implications. Because as you read it, we started in verse 10, but, but the entire chapter is talking about false teaching and basically debaucherous living. If you back up to the very first part of this, he began to say, but, I re but realize this, he's talking to Timothy. Paul is on death row. This is probably his last letter that we have. Timothy is his son in the faith. They are really close. It's like a father-son type of relationship. And he says, but realize this, in the last days, difficult things will come. For men will be lovers of self. And he begins to just unpack how low people would begin living in relationship to other people around them. Abusers of others, users of others, robbing one another manipulating one another. But then he gets down to this, this verse that just kind of, it really blows my own mind in verse 7. He's talking about them going in and, and basically taking advantage of women. And he says, always learning 
and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. How would you like to waste your time in, a, in an exercise and never learn anything from it? Some of you felt like about that with algebra when you were in high school. You were always doing the homework, but it just never seemed like it was sticking. That's the way I interpret that verse. But here's the problem. Then he goes into this in verse 8, and he says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Okay, now stop. Who in the world is that? You know, when you read the Bible and you come across words like that, and you go, like, who, who is that? Well, this goes back to Exodus 7. And in Exodus 7, Paul is beginning his, I mean, excuse me, not Paul. Moses is beginning his mission of going before the Pharaoh to ask for the Israelites to be released. And he tells them, he tells Moses to tell Aaron to throw his staff down. Hey, kids, do y'all remember what happened when it said Aaron threw his staff down? Do y'all remember that, that narrative? What, do you, what would happen to the staff? Turn into a snake. Have any of you thrown down a stick lately? I saw a video this week where there's this little toddler running around. And he had a pacifier in his mouth. He probably wasn't one year old. And the, the dad's videoing him because he's throwing this stick. And his dog is bringing it back. And so the little kid's having fun. He picks up the stick and he throws it. Then all of a sudden he picks up this other stick and it's a snake. It did not turn into a stick. It freaked the dad out. He threw his phone down and runs. It's just a black snake. It was harmless. But still... How many of you have seen a stick turn into a snake? Well, according to Jewish history, Jonas and Jambres were of the court where Pharaoh brings out his magicians. So what happens is he comes in, Moses is standing there, he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh brings out his his magicians. And they do the same trick. Now, why is that important? Because what was the message? Let my people go. What was the distractor? They were throwing down and making snakes too. One actually happened. One didn't. And these men were deceivers. And they aided in Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And that's the context that's being set up when you get to verse number 10. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, all high qualities that Paul exhibited in front of this man who is like a son to him. And he's inviting him to consider two things. Number one, what are you doing? And number two, what do you know? And what he's going to do at the end of that passage that we read earlier is he's going to show them where that comes from. So the first point, if you're following along in the bulletin, I want you to see is following Jesus is hard. Can we just put that out there right now and understand that as beautiful as the gospel is, as beautiful as grace and mercy is, as much as God says to us in Scripture, I want to change your life, I want to give you real life, I want to give you true life, can somebody amen and say that following Jesus is hard? Even today we were talking about just how hard it is on a weekly basis, the things that get thrown in front of us, the things that happen to us, and how, did y'all know Satan doesn't take vacations? Did y'all hear that? Satan does not take a vacation. He doesn't care that we celebrated holidays. What he cares about is pulling you and me apart and down. Following Jesus is hard. 
here's he, he's, Paul is sitting on death row, and he looks at, at, at Timothy, and he says, now you followed. Say follow. What's he following? He's following what he saw Paul do. Guys, can I tell you something? By the end of this message, I'm going to challenge you to read the Bible. Y'all know where this is going, right? That's not what I'm going to challenge you to do. What I'm going to challenge you to do is engage the Bible. Because if I was standing up here right now and I had two people standing beside me, one could quote the book of 1 John and one was loving his brother, I would put more stock in the one who was doing what the Word said rather than the one who could quote it. Because if y'all don't remember Jesus' narrative, Satan tempted Jesus with the Word of God. Satan can quote Scripture. My question to you is this, are you doing what the Word says? Let's just get it out of the way. I mean, if this is the Word of God, and this reveals the character of God, and God's call for you and me in Christ Jesus is a life of holiness. Look, look at what he said down in verse number 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, we, we get We get stuck on the word persecuted. But I want you to notice the word back where it says to live how? Godly. I believe that salvation is free. I believe that the gospel is easy to understand. I don't believe we do anything to earn salvation. But I do believe that God's plan for your life and mine is for us not to stay the way we were. There's the idea of repentance that we talked about a few weeks ago. There's the idea that now the Holy Spirit lives inside of me when I receive Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, eventually holy should begin living out in me. God wants to change your life. And if you choose that, I believe, in my opinion, this is just me, I believe we choose to accept Christ. We're saved, right? But I believe we have a second decision to make, and that is He's worthy to follow. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What is easy about that? You know, all of us have probably at some time tried a reading plan. Most of us know Genesis very well. We get to Exodus and we read about the plagues and by the time they cross the Red Sea and he starts giving the prescriptions on how to build the tabernacle, we're we're done. (laughs) And then we feel defeated. And then we feel like a worthless Christian because I couldn't keep my commitment. God doesn't want that in your life. Folks, it's it's better for you to step back and say, you know what, I'm going to read a verse a day and see God in that and see what God is saying to me in that one verse than it would for me to to boastfully say, well, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Because as soon as you don't make it, as soon as you slip up one day, who does it make it look bad? When all God's wanting you to do is see, see Him in the Scripture. God wants to speak life into you. God wants to see you transformed and raised up. Not to feel defeated. Following Jesus is hard. I mean, even just looking through this room, and I, I'm seeing, I'm making co- eye contact with some of you guys that have been on the mission field in harm's way. It's not easy to follow Jesus. Don't we believe in a God who's more powerful than anything that could come against us? And if God takes your, if somebody in this world takes your life away, who really holds your life? 
Who raised Jesus from the dead? Who can raise you from the dead? Someday Jesus will come back and he'll raise us from the dead. So death is nothing that we have to fear. You know how I have, you know what evidence I have to support that? How many disciples died a martyr's death? All of them but one, John. They did not fear death because they knew Jesus promised he would raise them from the dead. So what do you and I have to fear? See, my goal and my challenge to you in 2022 is to read the Word to find out what to do with the Word. I don't care what your reading plan is. We have these out in the lobby. And and it goes by quarter. And there is a Bible reading plan inside of this devotional. You could follow this. How many of you have a smartphone? Maybe I should ask this. How many of you have a dumb phone? You do not. You just got one for Christmas. There is something called the Bible app. How many of you have it? I know, I know Brother Fred uses it, on a, you use it on a daily basis. You post those verses. Guys, if you read the verse for the day and you took that verse and then you go read it in its context. Five minutes. I'll brag on one of my kids, one of my children. I'll leave her unnamed. That narrows it down to two. We, we went through a challenge in the fall where we were, as, a, as the Thomas family, Laura's family, were reading a book of the Bible together. And the first thing she did every morning is she got the Bible app and pushed play. And as she's getting ready, she's hearing the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. She listened to it every day. And she got the award as being the one that didn't miss a day. I'm bragging on my kid. I'm biased. I'm just saying that's how easy it is. How many of you use a Bluetooth speaker in your car? Your phone connects to the car. On the Bible app, all you got to do is push play. And you can hear the Word of God being played as you drive. It takes discipline, and discipline is hard. My challenge to you this year is what would God challenge you to do? To do with the Word of God. The second point is continuing in Scripture leads to faith and wisdom. Because I need something to know before I can do it. Now, here's how I define wisdom. Smartly doing what you know. Like, I know a lot of stuff. All of us know a lot of stuff. In fact, some of you older people may agree with me that you've probably have forgotten more than you've ever learned. I remember one time, my grandfather was a mechanic. And I think I may have shared this in one context already, but he had a cube truck that he hauled around batteries, and starters, and alternators. Now, this was back in the 80s when you didn't have 25 million diodes between year and year. And you didn't have, a, have to have a computer to test an alternator. And so I'm down there one day. I'm, I'm about Micah's age, so I'm, I'm preteen or right at teenage years. And my grandfather had a massive heart attack in 1986 when I was in elementary school. And so he couldn't do like he used to. His strength was gone, quadruple bypass. And so I'm out there one day, and this guy pulls up, and he's like, Tom, can, can, you, can you, something's wrong. And, and he popped the hood, and he's standing there, but he took a moment, like Paul did with Timothy, and said, let me show you something. He said, my grandfather knew he could look at a bolt and say, that's a 5 that's a one half. He knew everything, and he looked at me, and said, instead of telling me to get a wrench, he said, 
go in there and get the largest screwdriver you can. I went, what? I mean, I knew enough about tools going, right? there's, no, there's no screw heads on this. And I came back out there, and he said, now put it in your ear. And I went, what? I haven't taken a bath today. And so, so he said, now put it, now put the, put the handle in your ear. I said, okay. So I'm standing there in front of this stranger with a screwdriver in my ear. He said, now put the tip on the top of the alternator. And I said, okay. He said, you hear that? And it was going. He said, the bushings are out in the alternator. Please get up in the truck and get a 55741. He knew the, he knew the number. He, he took a moment, just like Paul did with Timothy, to show him some wisdom. And that's exactly what happened that day. My grandfather showed me what it sounded like when bushings were going out of an alternator. And to this day, that wisdom is priceless. So I want you to look with me again at the text because we, we pick back up this context in 13. It says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. worse. Remember Jonas and John Brace? They were deceiving people. They were trying to distort the truth. Because if I'm going to attack a truth, I either have to discredit the truth or discredit the one speaking the truth. Deceivers deceive others to be deceivers so they can deceive others. In our culture today, there's a word called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Let me prove it to you right now. If I got up here right now and started dissecting every bad place Stetson Bennett had last night, some of you would start folding your arms and scowling at me. You know why? Because bias would say, no, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NCAA. Don't you speak bad about him. So what you then would do is maybe get on social media and go looking for people that are going, man, he's the best, he's the best, to confirm your bias. And that's exactly what was going on in here. These men were trying to distort the truth of God. They were persecuting them. Paul's about to die. He's going to get his head chopped off for his following of Jesus. Timothy, his protege, more than likely was about to desert him. That's why Paul wrote this heartfelt letter was to appeal to him, say, come back. I need you. Don't leave me. In fact, by the time you get to the end of this book, he makes a simple request to bring his cloak. I'm cold, Timothy. I'm lonely. Would you bring me my cloak? And he's afraid he's about to fall away. He said, but you, however, and that word is repeated in, in verse 10. 10 and 14 are framed with two Greek words with two letters each, sude. It means, but now. So if we were looking at this literally, it would say verse 10, but now. And then in verse 14, it would say, but now. And he gives him this imperative, this active imperative. Continue in the things that you have learned. And where did he learn them from? Well, if you turn back with me to chapter 1, verse number 5. Paul is talking about, I'm longing, I'm, I'm crying, I'm so, I'm so emotional, I want to be with you. And he says, for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you that dwelt within your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. This kid had so many people pouring into him the word of God. And now Paul is saying, look, I want you to continue in that. Not what these men are trying to deceive you to believe. Continue in what you know. Continue in that faith. He said, from childhood 
you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You know what that means for you and me? Number one, we need to be committed as lifelong learners. I don't care if you're seven or 70 in this room. You can relearn what you've already learned. And sometimes we need to be retaught. We forget our raising. We forget what we've learned to be right. We live in a culture where it's immoral to be moral. Did you hear what I said? We live in a culture where it's immoral to be moral. It's immoral to have boundaries in our culture. But you know what? I can't worry about what's out there. I can only worry about what's going on in here. And the call of God for you and to me is to follow Jesus even when it gets hard and continue in what we know. Why? Because it leads to faith and it leads to wisdom. God wants you this year to grow in faith and grow in wisdom. Why? Because the third point, verse 16 and 17, application of Scripture leads to maturity. Application of Scripture. Why am I saying application? Well, let me, let me take a moment, roll up my sleeves, and reread verses 16 and 17. All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. Some of you may have God breathed. It's a, it's, it only appears here in the Greek New Testament, it's a compound word which says God breath, God wind, God spirit. Because in the Greek, the word spirit and wind is the same word. Now, for you that follow weather, there were some disastrous storms that came through Florida this year. I have an uncle who actually moved down to Daytona just a year ago only to have the home that he bought flooded because of that wind. Three feet. They were up on their table or their beds. I can't remember what they said. They were, they were up on the furniture till someone in a boat could come and get them out of their home. You know why? Because the wind blew in a specific direction that pulled all of that water into the intercoastal waterway and flooded. Wind is powerful. And that's a negative example. But, but guys, let me tell you that the Spirit of God lives inside of you and me if we've accepted Jesus Christ. It recalls Genesis chapter 2 when it says, God formed man of the dust. And here's this body laying on the ground. And then it said, and God breathed the breath of life into him. Folks, we're walking dead that need the Spirit of God breathed into us. And the Word of God is a medium by which we receive that life. The path that God has laid out in front of us is clear as we let this word read us. As we let the word examine us. As we put ourselves under the hand of God to examine us. And it's a weighty responsibility. Listen to what he says. Not only is it inspired, it's profitable. We like profit, don't we? Profit's when you put a little bit of work in and get a little bit more in return. That's what profit is. If you put something in and you don't get anything in return or you lose, that's a loss. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? Because when we go back to that verse, if we're going to live godly lives, we need to live righteous lives. And you and I don't have the ability to do that. 
We didn't have the ability to save ourselves. And we need God's Spirit to empower us, to guide us and direct us. But here's the, here's the cool part. Verse 17, so that the man of God would be adequate. It hinges upon it being inspired and profitable. There's a lot of books that's been written, but this one is different. This one is different because this one has the words of life. And when that happens, check this out. He says, equipped to know everything I should know. Is that what it says? Equipped so that I could be smarter than somebody else. Equipped so that I can be a special Christian. We like special Christians for some reason. We like to take people like me who have, who have invested in study and gone to school and put us up here so that we remove the responsibility out there of study. But we're all under the same responsibility to know what God has said. There are no special Christians. We all just have different responsibilities. For every good, what does it say? Work. You know, I don't know what it's going to be like when, when, when Jesus comes back. And I don't, we all kind of, all kind of say sometimes, like, this is what I'm going to say to God when I see him. I don't think I'm going to say anything. I think I'm going to be so dumbfounded that when I see the Lord, I won't say anything. But here's what I want said back to me. Well, good. Good and faithful servant. And it won't be because of degrees. And it won't be because maybe by the end of my life, I've read the Bible 15 times. It'll be because of what I did. It'll be the expression. James said to be Doers of the word and not hearers only. And so here's my challenge. I'm, I'm, gonna give you, I'm really going to give you three. Number one, read something. Isn't that easy? Read something. A recent Barna study revealed that teens across the world, get, get ready because if you're a teenager in here, I'm about to get in your stuff. I'm sorry. When... When, when they surveyed teens across the world, it came back that only 8% of teens are engaged in the Word of God. Out of those who are engaged, that would be considered like uh, some Christians who, teens that would consider the Word of God inerrant and applicable, only 80% of them felt like that Scripture had any relevancy to them. So you take that 8%, and that gets on down to about 5%. So only 5% of kids, teens that are engaged, or excuse me, only 80% of those are engaged in the Word, reading it. Now, they may be engaged in social media, looking for somebody to give them an identity. Can I tell you the identity you need? It's right here. For us that are middle-aged, our identity is right here. For those of us that are in our senior years, where's our identity? It's found in here. To read something. But then I want you to consider how you read it. And that's where I'm going with this. I want to challenge you to get in a life group. I want to challenge you to get in a life group. You can go to our website and look at the different avenues. All of them are that way, except for one that meets over that direction. But I want you to consider getting in a life group. And then here's the third challenge. And this one's cool. I don't believe you should read the Bible in isolation. That's just me. That leads to heresy. Can you find two or three guys or gals in your life and say, hey, what? every other Saturday, let's meet at Duncan 
and we're going to read the book of 1 John, or we're going to read something. I keep referring to 1 John because that's where we're going to be in February. We're going to, we're going to do a study in the book of 1 John. I, you could read Habakkuk. I, I don't care what book you read. But just read something and read it together and do it together in a group. I got two friends that are in their 70s, and they started this five years ago, and can I tell you, five years ago. They are now through about three books because they just get together and they read. But as they're reading, they're going, okay, what do I see about God in this? What's this saying about me? We have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. And that's my challenge for us going into 2023. So as we close, I said I wanted to do something special. Because this will be the last time for a while that we have the kids in the room. Kids, y'all here with me? Put your hands up. Like a roller coaster. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. I'm going to go ahead and ask Caleb and the band to come, and you're going to play in the background. But you know, this is the treasure God has given us, our children, our students. He's called us as a church to disciple the next generation, has he not? If you are near these kids, I just want you to circle up around, and we're going to play, pray a blessing over our kids this day. So if you're a 0 to 18, I'm considering you a kid. But I want you parents, I want you to pray over your kids. And I want them to hear you praying over them. That God will do something miraculous in their life this year. So let's bow. And parents, put your hands on your kids and let's pray together. Father, as we pray over our kids this morning. God, what an awesome responsibility you've given to these parents. To raise them up, to fear you, to know you. And so, God, I pray as Ebenezer that we partner with our families to influence these kids to grow and to learn. I pray, God, blessing that this year, if there's a kid in this room who hasn't accepted Jesus yet, God, you would make that gospel clear in their mind, that you would make it clear the need that they have to be saved, that they are a sinner, and that they need Jesus. And God, that you would save them and that it would be the birth of an awesome relationship that they would see you as their heavenly father as Jesus taught us. And God, that that relationship would grow. And I pray you touch these parents. There's weeks, especially in any of our single parents, that they're just barely making it each day to come in and to feed their kids, get them from school, get them to this and to that. And they get home and they're exhausted and they're tanked. And the last thing maybe they want to do is pick up that word and and say, hey, son or daughter, I, I want to show you this. But God, I pray you give them the strength and the endurance and the long-suffering to be able to do that. And God, as Ebenezer, that as this year progresses, we would look at ourselves. God, that we would set a challenge in our life to stretch us just a little bit. Maybe it is to read through the Bible this year. Maybe it's just to read through the New Testament. Maybe it's to take these devotionals or do something on the Bible app, whatever it is, God. Right now, everyone in this room has a next step. And so, Lord, I pray that you would touch them, that you'd speak to them, and, God, that you'd challenge all of us that as we are stepping out in this community, we want to be a message of hope. We want this to be a place of hope. So, God, let us be excited and filled with passion about the hope we have so that we will take that hope into our community. In Jesus' name, amen.